Greetings to the profane. Yes, I'm talking to you, because this is the last episode of Official Lauren Month. If you don't know who Lauren is, then clearly you ain't a part of the No Horse Bard Witchcraft podcast community, and you should fuck off now. <laughs> so, <laughs> the profane, you know our friend Heinrich Agrippa. Yep. Henry, as we call him, he's been a commenting in the group, and he does say something about you, Chris. He said, you are both the storm and the calm that comes after it. <laughs> Do you like that? I like that. I like that a lot. Well, he said about me, what he said about me, he says, Liam, you're an unsolvable paradox with a dry sense of humour. <laughs> so today we're talking about our friend who wrote a book now heinrich agrippa henry agrippa whatever you want to call him heinrich i say because of the germanish accent he's a member of our group okay on the no holds barred witchcraft podcast secret group on the facebook and he's written a trilogy, Chris. A trilogy. Not one book. He's written a trilogy. He's written a couple of books, actually. There was that feminist one, which no one really reads. Then there was, like, this other one, which no one really reads either. And then there's the three books of occult philosophy he went and wrote. And he basically was going to write three books on occult philosophy. Got to the end of one, the first book, about elemental magic and natural magic and that, and then for fuck it, I really don't want to write the others. And he did end up writing the others in the end. Did he write a fourth book, Chris? I'm not convinced the fourth one's his. No. I'm Do you think convinced. it's a fake? I think that's a fake. It's a fake, is it? Yeah. I think it's a fake. Someone is stealing the, the, the name Heinrich Agrippa to try and pass their uh, trashy book because they want Llewellyn to publish it. Is that what they, you think is going on? <laughs> also, because it's on Geomancy, is one of the main parts of it, and nobody believes in that shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, for those that don't know our friend Heinrich Agrippa, right, you can uh, look him up on the on the Wikipedia, and it would uh, be a big load of stuff about how he was born in 1486, and how he was a mathematician, polymath, a physician, that's like a doctor from back in the day, a legal scholar, so basically an asshole lawyer, a soldier, theologian, and a cult writer. Yes, he had a very exciting life, a curing of people, or at least a treating them. We don't know if he cured any, but we know he treated people with the plague. And he even defended witches when they were accused and brought to a court of law. That whole thing happened. Remember that? Yeah, there is that. It was all rather, yeah, it was all rather um, scandalous at the time. So, this was back in the day. We're now in the 21st century. Am I right about that? Are we the 21st? Right, I always get the 21st and the 20th mixed up. 21st is the one with the iPhones, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Right, okay. We're in the 21st century, and a magical practice has not really improved much (laughs) (laughs) since three books of occult philosophy came out. Well, no. Chris, prove me wrong. I'm not sure I can. Because, literally, so obviously... uh, 
it's not really his work, is it, in that sense? It's a treatise, so it's kind of a an assessment of what is available at that point. So he's kind of, you know, commenting on all sorts of magical traditions from all over kind of Europe um, and a little bit further. But really, it's 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 an amalgamation like of anything in the Middle Ages, which is part of the Renaissance where they're actually reviving things that are long gone. So, you know, it's all talking about kind of Greek and Roman magic. There's a little bit of the Greek and Roman opinion of things like uh, the Assyrians and the Mesopotamian empires and a bit of the Egyptian, but it is through a Greek and Roman lens. So you kind of like, you know, at the end of the day, it's what the Greek and Romans were aware of at that point. So, you know, it's not even... It, it's not even Chris, that it's Chris, come on. Look, look, we got to stop you there, right? Oh, go on. Unfortunately, those profane people I told to fuck off at the beginning of this are so profane and mundane, they don't realise that we were actually talking to them. So the profane <laughs> are the uninitiated, the muggles. So that means the people that don't know what Chris had just said... I mean, come on, they're probably going to carry on listening because as soon as you tell a, a child to stop doing something all they want to do is carry on doing that thing so let me retranslate okay the greeks ancient people they made a pretty statues yeah the romans they invaded think of star wars and stormtroopers but with like armor and shit and then they, they uh, take technologies and things that they kind of get you know people say they invent they don't actually invent them they just tend to make them a bit better yeah, like, then, like the iPhone and Macintosh. Go on, carry on. <laughs> Did the Romans invent them? I don't know <laughs> if the Romans invented them. But now, so basically we are talking about secret occult knowledge. So, back in the day, Heinrich Agrippa thought, hmm, it's often referred to as a reformation, but not that kind of a magical Christian yeah. reformation. It's kind of a reformation of the magic. So you kind of thought, oh. Magical practices are a little disjointed. I know if I put it all basically down in the form of a free books, then people can take that and they can build on top of it. But I tell you what, because I can't release all this information because I'm an occultist and I can't speak in general terms. <laughs> I'm going to create it and make it somewhat hidden. So only the people that are initiated, only the people that have some magical potential to a higher standard will be able to interpret the text. So rather than make a beginner's guide to magical practice, I'll make an advanced or intermediate user's guide to a magical practice. I'll take all the things they already know and I'll put them down on paper. So when they uh, incarnate and the like, or if they uh, grow up and they get my free books of occult philosophy, they think, ah, yeah, that puts my thoughts down precisely. Thank you, Henry. Now I can move on. Now I can uh, move on and I can uh, build on this foundation and go off and do really exciting things. Now, where did that all go wrong, Chris? <laughs> Why did it not move on? <laughs> I think I think largely it's a case of this is still something that we consider to be um, hidden practice. So a large part of it is going to be the fact that he releases it then all the people that don't like him, you know, mostly the more devout Christians than he was supposedly devout, and 
um, then start to call him a black magician. And therefore, <laughs> and therefore, it's probably not a good idea to be advertising that you're reading his works. Um, and then it continues to stay underground. But the question is, do, are they actually progressing underground? Because what occasionally pops to the surface, like with what was popping to the surface during the 50s, after the repeal of the uh, Witchcraft Act, Clearly, well, starting on the Wiccans now. Clearly, it hasn't predicted. Well, actually, I was starting on the Rosy Christians, but you know, same shit, different. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah. But it was just a case of actually, has it progressed? Because from what little bit you're seeing, either you know, it's because they're coming from the low initiates um, that you know haven't even passed their first examinations yet, or it's a case of actually, it's not progressed at all. Um. I don't know. How do you feel about it? I think nowadays magical practice is an abomination. It, it's not an abomination from the perspective of how Christians think that all magic is an abomination apart from their magic, which ain't really magic, is a miracle from Jesus. <laughs> it's more of a case of it's, uh, yeah, it's basically a, like a bunch of slow children that are trying to cram the circular shape through the triangular <laughs> hole. <laughs> I like, <laughs> like toddler, like. toddler baby. Um, yeah, I like. You know? I really like what you did there. Um, hashtag circles. Hashtag triangles. Hashtag magical symbology. It works on the many levels. That really does work on many levels. I'm very impressed there. Actually, you can give yourself a gold star. Thank you. I it's like got that. to be a five-pointed star, though, hasn't it? Ofs, ofs, just in a ofs. in a circle. In a circle, ofs. So okay, so a magical practice is a pretty poor. Now we've been out on the road like them Winchester brothers. We've been out <laughs> on the road seeing magic in the real world. We've been to the psychic fairs. Mm -hmm. We've been to the moots, and now we've been to some of the secret societies, the yeah. big ones as well, not the little shitty ones. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty shocking, pretty shockingly bad. Every now and then you meet a someone that's doing a proper magic. But even so, they're few and far between. And it's a bit worrying given the amount of resources that are out there. The majority of people I'm finding, Chris, seem to be fantasists. that don't even have any sort of magical practice at all in general. No. I know we magicians. normally call them Wiccans, but some of the Wiccans do magic, but it's not magic to a high level, and I'm getting a bit worried now for the state of humanity <laughs> and the state of a magical practice. And I'm thinking, hi, Rick Agrippa. He did his three books of occult philosophy, a reformation to put down in the basics for people to start to really take magic. It is not a spell book. Is much a lot a bit similar to the Bible. It's a big meaty book that you really have to take very slowly within in chunks and sit there and then marinate it. It's like cooking a gammon in the slow cooker. It's a big hunk of stuff you got to put in there, and it's got to be slow cooked for a long time, right? You got to add other things to it. You got to really take your time, yeah. And then it goes all nice and juicy and like that fall in the fall apart in your mouth kind of. Yeah, I like that. Anyway. I am at tea yet, so I'm hungry. Um, so, yeah, so 
I'm thinking we need another reformation of a magical practice. And I don't know if the book's the way to go these days. No, I don't think it is. There's too many books out there. If we may, if someone made an extremely brilliantly amazing book about magic that could take almost anyone and turn them into a high-functioning, high-level magician, witch, slash occultist, well, it would be probably on the last page of, like, page 10,000 pages of crap on Amazon or something. Because yeah. there's too many books out there. There's too much information. So, you know... What, how would you lead a reformation of magic in the 21st century, Chris? How could it be done? I think you'd have to have a have a party on the uh, party on the astral, wouldn't you? And those that could get there get the opportunity to learn more. So you're talking about gatekeeping because not everyone can get to the astral. I am because Heinrich Agrippa was a fan of gatekeeping. He, he he basically wrote his book in order so that only people that kind of already knew could understand. That's the problem. So it isn't really a book that teaches Beginners. the mundane. It's a book that teaches the well-educated, that yeah. are really committed to a path. Well, one you'd now, have to be able to read high. You'd have to be able to read high Latin, um, in which yeah. case it really was limiting to a small group of yeah. people. A remarkably small group of people, even though it was now, a printed. Three books of occult philosophy by Henry Cornelius Agrippa. It doesn't really exist now, does it, Chris? There is no free books of occult philosophy. You cannot buy or download it. You cannot even buy it from a Llewellyn source book series. It doesn't exist. Can we go into that? Because that's something that people will be turning over and saying, I've just fucking bought it on Amazon, <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> I just paid 20 odd, 20 odd quid or 49.95 US dollars or 57.95 Canadian dollars. Or, or, and you're telling me it's not a thing. Or a, I've just bought it. It is a thing. I've it just says bought those, translated I've just by bought, a James Freak. I've just heard those gorgeous, you know, I've just bought those gorgeous hardbound, beautiful cloth-covered copies from, uh, is it uh, Three Letters? Is it Three Letters Press or something like that? Three Hands Press. Three Hands Press. Three hands oh, press. they are beautiful, aren't they? Um, Do you think that our audience has that kind of money? Well, you'd, you'd hope so. <laughs> they <laughs> is witches. They should, they should be they able should to help. conjure the amount up to buy that nice little series. In fact, they should be able to conjure up such an amount of money that they could go... They could buy us a copy also. Yes, we would love a copy. <laughs> please, please email it a, uh, and we'll send you where to post it to. Um, yeah. But yeah, the problem is that the the Latin, um, the Latin copies of it are not very well translated, is a large part of it. So like it happens with most historical texts, the problem is that the actual um, nuance of the of the words is lost in that translation so it's a case of you know you're reading it and you kind of you know this is written in some strange gobbledygook no it's just when it was converted to english it wasn't by people that were particularly au fait with the actual magical practice itself uh, which is what often happens is that you know the person translating is a, a translator that's their specialist field 
not the actual field they're trying to translate the document from. So, you know, they're not going to necessarily be an expert on magic as well as being a decent, uh, you know, translator of Latin to English. So even... And if they are, if they are, they grew up in the, you know, the 20th or 21st century. Exactly. With a uh, wicker as being the public practice and a bunch of Masonic bollocks. Yeah. Or Rosicrucian bollocks or Thelemite bollocks or some crap from the OTL. You know, maybe a little bit of a golden dawn or something like that. Yeah. There are probably an armchair magician. Not having a Middle Ages understanding 700 years ago of what Latin was at that point in time. So, you know, yes, you can make approximations, but actually if you don't have some kind of... Um, basic understanding of these philosophies of that time you're then going to struggle to understand it you've also got to remember that it's it's their version of something that happened again 700 or so years before that um, when it was yeah. last written down prior to that so you you know it's it's regurgitation of regurgitation and you wonder why it comes out as gobbledygook and is hard to read now most people go and get all excited about the footnotes in some of these modern translations, uh, which are great. Um, but again, that's just picking out little details um, that someone that has read it has managed to figure out, providing that they've actually understood the core text in the first place. Um, you know, the best translations are going to be people that have written footnotes from the Latin version, not necessarily written footnotes from the English version. Right, so the best basic translation that we've been able to find, I think, is this one from the Llewellyn Force book range, which yep. is the one with the black cover. It's about a thousand pages long. It's translated by James Freak and is edited and annotated by Donald Tyson. Probably the best one that you can probably find on a PDF or buy from Amazon, but inaccurate. So let's give a little example. Let's talk about asbestos. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because this is something, this is some shit you won't find anyone else talking about, right? So, if I find it, the chapter 9 of yeah, the first book. Chapter 9 of the first book. Of the virtues of things natural, depending immediately upon elements. It talks a bit about asbestos. There is also a kind of flax, which Pliny calls asbestos. Bestum. And then if you read the little footnote, footnote 21, asbestum. Asbestos is a mineral that readily separates into hair-like fibres. Remember asbestosis? I used to do asbestos removal. It's a bad thing that they stick in all of the buildings and pretty much on everything because it was cheap and fire retardant. Now, You've got a bit of a problem with the translation here, haven't you? Yeah, basically it's the use, it's the use of the word flax. So what it's suggesting at this point is from that translation that this is somehow part of a plant. Uh, flax, which is what makes linen. Obviously it's not. Mm -hmm. What it's actually probably the translation that they've got from about the asbestos is talking about fibrous material rather than flax itself. So the translation to English is where somebody has gone and fucked up and so gone and gone, the, the closest they can describe it is linen or flax, um, which actually then 
kind of goes. The reason for this is they used to obviously twist it into a, um, a wick-like to allow you to burn oil continuously because the, the wick would then never actually burn out. So you would never have to replace the wick, just keep topping up the oil. So, you know, um, if you're within the know, then you'd know that the Vestal, the Vestal Virgins, which is, I think, in the translation refers to as the, um, um, the, I don't know, Maidens of Venus or something like that, Temple of Venus, which is actually referring mm. to the Vestal Virgins in Rome. Uh, which actually have nothing to do with Venus at all and all about Vesta. Um, but the um, the mistranslation there is probably a, down to a fact of misunderstanding of one deity through another. Um, but actually in there you have their, their job of the Vestal Virgins is to keep a fire burning, alter, you know, the holy flame burning indefinitely. Um, obviously using a wick made of asbestos means you're only having to top up the oil in the yeah. process right and actually that is going to keep a burning over and over because it's never going to burn out as long as you keep topping up the oil yeah um, agrippa would say um talking about a kind of flax to be used on an oil lamp which is not consumed by fire now this is the problem We've got the idea within uh, magical practice, particularly, I think, of a ceremonial nature where you've got an, a flame that never goes out. So imagine you had an altar space where you were doing a ritual yeah. and you had some kind of a flame that was supposed to keep burning. Agrippa says you use the asbestum. It basically says that in a line. Doesn't tell you what the asbestum is. Yeah. We now are telling you that it's asbestos. You can read that in the footnotes. But what it doesn't tell you is how to make that. You have to know how to make an asbestos wick, which you won't be able to really Google, I would imagine. I've not tried <laughs> to look it up, but it's not something that you're going to be able to Google. Yeah. And it just says, you know, wick essentially made that never goes out, that never burns. Well, you can do that. It is possible to do that. You could make a wick and an oil lamp that you could keep going. So you think of these... Uh, you know, I wouldn't say secret lodges, but certainly temple complexes and cults where they've got like some sort of, you even see that in Christianity, don't you? Where yeah. they've got like the choirs that continue to sing and they just change shifts or the prayers yep. or, you know, lights that get kept going. You could do that. You could create an oil lamp with a flame that never goes out that you just continuously top up. Now, Heinrich Agrippa makes reference to it. Don't tell you how to make it. You'd have to know that yourself. And if you're trying to work out what fibres to use, plant fibres, well, asbestos isn't a plant fibre. Yeah. Asbestos is a rock. And there are three different types. You've got blue-brown and white. Chrysotile is white. It also kills you. It's very, very slowly. <laughs> yeah. I must invent a chrysotile spell because that sounds cool. But anyway, well, I put that aside for now. So, Three Books of Occult Philosophy by Heinrich Agrippa. If you read it nowadays, it will be an inaccurate translation. If you read it, it is not a spell book. It is not designed to teach you spells. No, it's philosophy. It is designed to separate different 
parts, I suppose, of magical practice to categorize them into three categories, hence the three books. Book number one, elemental, natural magic, low magic is what we call it. Yeah. Book number three, high magic, advanced kind of magic, past the abyss kind of a magic. And a book number two, which is somewhere in the middle of those two. Now, what you'll get with a Western magic in the modern, I say modern, pretty much everything that comes after that. So even when we're talking about Golden Dawn, Victorian period, if we're talking 1950s and we're thinking of Wicca, that kind of thing, pretty much every book that's published has got lots of stuff that's been taken from Heinrich Agrippa's book, whether it's a magic squares and the like, whether it's sigils, whether it's the abracadabra, whether it's the planetary days, the four elements because not five elements because you ain't fucking Chinese people. <laughs> Some of you might be Chinese. If you want to use wood as an element, then use wood as an element. Spirit ain't a fucking element, you idiots. Just don't understand the four elements so you think, <laughs> oh, I think I've invented some. I'm going to make a fifth element because I don't understand the connotations of a spirit and how it fits in with the other four elements. So I need to uh, separate it or you need to go off because you've got a Wiccan tradition and it's too similar to the other Wiccan traditions. And you're uh, infighting with all the other Wiccans. So you need to fuck off to America and say, OK, we're going to change the fifth, le fifth element to time because it's not spirit, it's time. So there we go. There you go. Hashtag the frosts. <laughs> but there we go. So we got our five minutes left and then we're going to go into the Patreon and we're going to discuss our slightly more advanced things in the Patreon. So overall, Foundation Book of Western Occultism. It says that on the cover and I'm inclined to agree. It's possibly the only thing Llewellyn's ever written or put on or in a book that I've agreed with. <laughs> um, on the back of the book it says the single most important text in the history of Western Occultism. I'm inclined to agree with that because at the end of the day you can pretty much take every book that's kind of occulty in the West and you'll find that it's just copy and pastes it from Agrippa. Yeah. Now, if you're a beginner in the 21st century and I gave you Agrippa's text, it would probably not make you a master magician or witch because mistranslations aside, it is not designed to be a book that teaches absolute beginners. It is designed to be a foundation in magic. It's designed to have all the beginner stuff in it, but it's not designed to be read by the beginners, is no. it? Which is a bit of a head fuck, I think. Yeah, well, that's the problem, isn't it? For a lot of people, it would be like, OK, well, I understand all the elements you're talking about here, but actually, do you? The question is, do you actually understand what he's talking about? Um and actually what is written, <laughs> unwritten, shall we say, between each line uh, is the understanding that, that puts together that foundation. So the understanding of the four elements, when he's talking about that, do you actually make that direct connection to what that is coming from? The fact is that's not an idea he's coming up with. He's synthesising what is readily available already. So at that point, you're talking about everything that you have ever read by Galen, Hippocrates, is all going on in that bit about, um, you know, um, 
that bit about the four cardinal elements, how they interact with each other, that when they start talking about dry and moist, uh, at which point people, you know, yes, okay, you now understand that. But do you understand it? Because you understand those words. Do you understand the concept they're actually discussing there? Which is how each one intermingles with each other in order to formulate life. The four together formulate life and maintain life. None of that is written in the actual book, but that's what the four elements are talking about. Would it be fair to liken Heinrich Agrippa with a Shakespeare? Yes. <laughs> and do you get what I say by that? <laughs> I think that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, he's not actually doing anything necessarily new. He's just put it in a language that hopefully the commoners can understand. Shakespeare takes old concepts and stories and archetypes and the like, and he dresses them up and makes them in a fancy English. Yeah. Now, the real question people want to know is, uh, you know, all the Shakespeare language you had to read during school. Did people actually talk like that in Shakespeare's time? <laughs> no, it's dramatisation. I think the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> Would that be what, like, a, a rapist or something would have say <laughs> back in the day? <laughs> Highly unlikely. Okay, so we were thinking, answering that question, no. They didn't yeah. speak like that back in the day. Yes, Shakespeare wasn't exactly the most original person. He stole it all from someone that came before and he had changed it. A bit like a Heinrich Agrippa didn't invent all of this. He just made a compendium of stuff that he basically put together in a basic form. Yeah. Now, I do suggest buying it or downloading it for free. Don't really care which one you do. And having a little flick through it. But don't try and read the whole thing. Just have a flick through and pick up little bits. And ask yourself, do I really understand this? Yeah. Do I understand it? Because if the answer is no, then the book's not going to teach you about it. No. But you could think about it and then go and do some research. And find these concepts and maybe even some, Maybe even some fucking magic. There we go. The end. So, what Lauren really wants to know, I think, is she wants to talk a little bit about the spells and the like. Because I've often likened this book to um, the Greek magical papyri. Yeah, which I think is I can fair. never say papyri. <laughs> because the, the spells are mystical and old, but they don't fucking work. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you try to recreate... So, I've got a page open in Agrippa's, and it talks a little bit about the... Um, Hand of glory, of course. Of course. Now, of course. there are people that have tried to follow the hand of glory spell in modern times and break into people's house and not be seen in the like. Yeah. And yes, they did get arrested, not for having a dead person's hand, but because <laughs> people saw them breaking into their house and called the fucking coppers. <laughs> so a lot of the magic spells and that, they're not magical in the sense of anyone that can utter them can make them work. So they're no more powerful really than a spell that a master magician or witch would create from scratch. Um, so don't go running out and get in this book, the free books of occult philosophy, thinking there's some powerful magical spells in there. Because although you could use some of the stuff that's talked about in there, 
or you could adapt some of the stuff that's talked about in there, doesn't mean that it's going to work. We need to get out of this kind of idea that magic spells are somehow magical on a level that you don't understand. Because here's the key thing. If you don't understand the magical level of the spell, it's probably not going to work. Because it's your understanding of the level that unlocks that ability within yourself and within the spell. And allows you to manifest it. Yeah. So if you want an example, if you want someone to cease being angry with you, write with Mer on linen. This, the name of the angry person. Hold it in your left hand and say, I am restraining the anger of all, especially of him. Let the record show that I pointed at Chris when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> and then a bunch of gobbledygook in some sort of Greek or something like that. And then he also says, which I've worked out means translation by R.F. Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> but, but your beginner would probably try and translate <laughs> or speak aloud, <laughs> thinking it's some sort of a Greek magical word, actually, is an abbreviation <laughs> of the person that translated that spell in the magical Greek papyri. But there we go. So, yeah, and unfortunately, you getting books like this is not going to give you any more powerful spells and the like. And there's a lot of things in the book that Heinrich, who wrote the book, probably wouldn't use. However, what you need to remember is a complicated book. So it's not one dimensional, it's a multi-dimensional book, which essentially means that if it says something and it tells you to do something, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's telling you to do that. It might be trying to get you to think about something. Yeah. So someone talked about um, dogs getting bitten by a, a dog with, a, what is it, that thing that dogs have, rabies. Yeah. Getting bitten by a dog with rabies and then peeing out dogs in your urine. Well, you know the mundane sort of person would think, oh, that's some sort of magical thing. How can one piss out dogs in their urine maybe it's possible because i believe in a magic maybe dogs will come out in the urine or i'll see dogs in the toilet or something like that or maybe it's the case of if you're bitten by a rabid dog it's probably going to have some sort of a hallucinogenic effect on your brain and because yeah. you've been told if you get bitten by a, a dog with rabies and then you start hallucinating knowing that when you get bit by a dog with rabies the dogs come out of your pee pee yeah then you might start seeing that so it does open up things for you to think about. And that's what you want to do. You want to use this book, not as a spell, but you want to use it as a, do I know this? Can I check this off my list or do I not know it? If I don't know it, it's not going to teach you the answer in three books of occult philosophy. No, but it might be. In fact, be it's probably just going to confuse you. More than likely. But it's going to, you know, if you hit a bit that you don't understand, the reason is that you probably don't understand the concept it's talking about, in which case you need to be doing research on the concept it is talking about. If you can fathom that from what it's saying, um, you just have to hope that in the Llewellyn copy, there's a footnote pointing out what the actual concept is. So you can go and search it. Um, otherwise, you can kind of have to <laughs> speak to another witch that has also read it and see if they understand. 
Yeah, so it's not a text that teaches, essentially. So, let's talk about something super witch, then. Because we haven't done that, and we are on the Patreon at the moment. So, super witchy stuff. Three books of occult philosophy. Given that it doesn't teach, and given that it kind of would be considered almost useless at this point, because all of the easy-to-understand stuff's been taken out and copy and pasted, yeah, and putting in other books and YouTube videos and the like. Yeah, what would be the purpose of using it these days? Have you ever used it? Do you see any purposes in it? And should we just forget about it? <laughs> what are your kind of thoughts? Um, so my the first time I really read it in any kind of detail was for this podcast. So because the amount of times that I've come across it. I just put it down as one of those books that ceremonial magicians like to read. Therefore, it's probably of no interest to me whatsoever. Because um, Lauren made you read it. So Lauren made it. me read this. So <laughs> Lauren, It's a thousand pages long. Lauren better enjoy this because otherwise we're going to have words. Um, however, it has left me feeling, do I, just as an exercise, go and correct some of these issues... Um, by, you know, downloading um, ancient Latin uh, to my brain and going to translate some of these sections better because they're shockingly written. However much, you know, fun that that probably would be, it's not something I'm going to jump to do anytime soon. So maybe retired Chris will give that a go. But actually, in would terms ever... of my practice, no, I don't think it's going to make any difference whatsoever. Would you do a translation or would you consider doing a new Reformation book? So one for oh. the 21st century. Because that would be my my idea. Because you know how I like to nitpick and it's got to be just so. If I was to put a foundation in form of writing in everyday common language for the modern age, I'd really want to do that. And it would probably turn out something like this a thousand pages long. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Because to me, I'm... Um... It's not, again, we've not gone anywhere with it. So all you'd be doing is pointing out, oh, okay, well, in this section, it would be adding a load of footnotes that goes, this section uh, is what actually happened to Wicca. Uh, this section's what happened with the Golden Dawn. This section is what the, um, uh, what the Rosy Christians have been doing. Like, I'd, I don't know, would you just be adding a series of footnotes? Because actually, has the, has the magic actually gone any further? since it inception and when you think that's a rehash a a reformation of something that was produced a thousand almost 1500 years before that um you know and by written i'm using that very loosely uh, the concepts were created during that period and even to that if you look at some of the stuff that um pliny or aristotle uh, or um Pythagoras those are all rehashes of things that were decided uh, a thousand years before that so you just kind of like really you know would we just be rehashing and putting in a new language something that's been written and rewritten well it's an update isn't it you're updating it into modern modern language so what would you just be the uh, you know osi 12 or something to a certain extent, I think, but you would be using things like, okay, 
I'm going to illustrate this point by explaining how to make a haunted board game called Jumanji. <laughs> okay. That's the difference, is that it would be projects that people could relate to in modern times, language being used in modern times. The universal laws of magic and where we are would still be in there, but it would be really designed for the modern mind, and the modern mind isn't the academic mind of back in the day. The academics of today memorise information to regurgitate a lot of the time, whereas the academics of old were more philosophy-led, I think. Yeah. And that's where you see that come out in terms of science and magic, the art of magic and the logic of science combined together, which you don't have nowadays. So I'm thinking that it could... I think if you were to do it, it would be amazing. But would it fall on deaf ears and just get lost? If you were to do it back in the night in the 20th century, say instead of Gerald Gardner's shit that got released, say you did it then. Right. Imagine what the difference would be in magical practice these days. That could be quite interesting. Certainly. Um, but no, the, the real reason, I, I really like free books of occult philosophy. I really, really like it. If I was to say to someone who asked me, because people always ask, what books do you recommend? I always say, well, if I had to pick one book, no, sorry, I can't tell you. <laughs> and then they say, oh, no, please tell me. What was you going to say? I was like, well, I was going to say the one book that really has all the others inside. But, I mean, it's too advanced for you. Oh, no, I want to know. I want to know. What is it? What is it? And I said, well, it's a trilogy. No, it's not. It's not that trilogy. It's a different trilogy. It was a written a many a years ago in a secret. <laughs> okay, tell me then. Tell me. <laughs> it's called A Free Books of Occult Philosophy by Henry Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa. Go and get it, and they'll get it, and they'll be like, oh, I don't understand any of it. Exactly. But it looks super complicated and super magical. <laughs> I mean, it's got all sorts of the pictures in. It's got, like, all sorts of crazy-ass stuff in. I know there's a hell of a lot of magic in it. I mean, look at that. It's all sorts of symbols and stuff, but I don't understand any of it, and I tried to read it, and it makes no sense to me. And I'm like, well, there we go. You asked for a book I recommend, and I recommend this book, because it's got it all in. You just don't understand it, because you is, how Heinrich would say, profane. <laughs> if you want to know the real, the real way I use this, because this is going to go too fucking super witch now, so I'm definitely going to offend some fucker out there. Go on, do we it. are on the Patreon. Well, I'll shift the buck over to you, oh, I think, maybe, so you can take the first part of the flack, and I'll take the second part of the flack. So, uh, if, you if you can explain to me the difference between uh, triers and natural witches, <laughs> and then I'll explain my use for the book. <laughs> Did you just say tr so try hearts, try hearts, or natural witches? Okay. What's the real difference? <laughs> uh, why would you do that to me? Because um, I haven't set you up at all so far. Well, no, you actually have been really well behaved today. And at least I've done it on the Patreon. Okay. 
Um, between the tryhards and the natural witches. <laughs> okay. I can't wait to watch him try and get out of this one. <laughs> so the, the main difference between the two would be, obviously, um, that the ones, <laughs> one, set, one of those groups... <laughs> this is hard. Uh, one of these groups... <laughs> Well, it is for the triards, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> one of these, uh, one of these groups has uh, an understanding, a natural understanding of these concepts. What they probably don't know is how to put them into words. The triards are the ones that know every concept in that book, but couldn't do them if they tried. Did I get? Did was that a polite way of putting it? Okay. Or did you really want to talk about crossing the abyss and coming back? We can throw that in. We're going to do a podcast on crossing <laughs> the abyss at some okay. point. Um, so imagine this. We'll try and categorise a couple of people so that people get the idea. Someone uh, is uh, spilling out of the mother's vagina or a C-section or whatever, and then they're starting talking about uh, seeing the spirits and talking to the spirits and explaining, I can see a broken part of your soul and the like, and this is how the universe works. That's what we'd call a natural witch. Yeah. Yeah. They understood everything from day one. They didn't have to learn magic, right? Natural witch. Then you've got the idea of the person, the learned person, that started off in the mundane world as a mundane, and by experimentation and advancing, perhaps some initiation, learning magical systems and the like, they've grown and evolved a magical practice, and they've been learning more and more and more and more and more. Okay? That's a triad, because they had to try very hard to reach and understand the foundation of magic, whereas the natural witch just was born with that. Yeah. Okay. It gets a little bit more complicated than that. So, three books of occult philosophy, if you gave a natural witch three books of, of occult philosophy, to them it is like a pamphlet that says, Welcome to Earth. Yeah. It's like your induction when you start <laughs> a new workplace. So, imagine. Yeah. If you have a foundation of magic, in magic, imagine, imagine, imagine you're a manager in a Tesco's or a Walmart or something. Yeah, you're going in at that level. You're a manager. You were somewhere else being a manager, and now you've come to Walmart or Tesco's, and you're yeah. a manager there. And you get given the induction. Here's the fire exits. Here's this. Here's that. Here's the Tesco's mentality. The the Walmart the the Walmart way. All that sort of bollocks. But you're going in at that high level above the shelf stackers. Okay. And you're being a tool, essentially, you know the job, you know how it works, but this is how we kind of do things here. The etiquette. In three books of, yeah, the etiquette, how to be a human, essentially. Three books of occult philosophy is, this is what we call everything in the West, and this is kind of the systems we use to talk with each other at higher levels. Yeah. Now, this book is a quite complicated but the person that is the natural witch already understands the concept. All you're getting is the, the ideas of how you structure terminology and that kind of thing. You don't learn anything from it. It's not designed to teach you anything. 
the tryhards, if you give the tryhards a book like this, they'll say, I kind of understand this, I kind of understand that, I ain't got a fucking clue about that though. So you can kind of see it as a checklist yeah. of, okay, I know that, now I've got to learn that, and now I've got to learn that, and now I've got to learn that. Now, because of the nature of the book, it's filled with kind of Neoplatonist stuff and philosophy and the like, because it would do, because of where it evolved from and the writer. Yeah, you know, it's, and a, the source material, it's a stamp of the time, isn't it? So it is the fact that yeah. it's written from a post-Thomas Aquinas kind of <laughs> reality where we're all thinking about the universe is controlled by de- one particular deity. Um, mm. And therefore there is a an, an ultimate existence with the one um, where you don't have, you know, if that was if that was written in the versions that the Plato, that Plato, etc. were talking about, uh, the seven, you know, the seven to a thousand years before that, it's going to have a different flavour. Same way as if Liam rewrote it now, it would have a very different flavour again that would take into consideration uh, multiples of deities upon multiples of deities and and my sense of humour, of course. Well, obviously, can you imagine what that book would be like? And how many profanities would be in that? Definitely a few. Go on. Okay, so there we have it. We've got the tryhards and we've got the natural witches. All the tryhards want to be natural witches, and all of the natural witches wish they were tryhards. Yeah, it's quite funny, really, <laughs> because they have a different different problems essentially. Yeah. The tryhards want to work through magic and they want to learn more and more and more and more and more, whereas the natural witches tend to be a case of fucking out. I thought I was in it for a nice little getaway. Yeah. And now we're here and all this shit's going on. Do I get involved or do I not get involved? So it is one of those things that sounds incredibly elitist. But the main thing to take away with three books of cult philosophy is that if you start thinking of it in terms of you're not supposed to be taught by the book or the book. Yeah you're supposed to kind of see it as a checklist and move through it and you're not really it's not like if you learn because there's some academics like that esoterica youtube channel we'll yeah. put a link in the description on the youtube chat on the on the noah's bard um facebook group we'll put a link to it this is someone that studied is a tryhard is studied and studied and studied and tried a little bit of magic perhaps but learned all the words and that and they have an uh, an academic's understanding of the concepts here yeah that's an academic's understanding they're a, a learned person what well, they don't open the book they don't open the book and have the pages whisper to them that's what your natural witch essentially would do they don't have it and open it up and the pages speak they have to read the words so it is one of those things that it is a book it's the one of the closest things i can describe to like a proper book that was written by someone that was understanding what they were setting out to do yeah which is one of the reasons why it's probably stood the test of time Whereas you've got things that are old kind of books. You look on an old ceremonial magician's bookshelves, you've got three books of occult philosophy. You've got the Lesser Key of Solomon. You've got all those kind of books. Lesser Key of Solomon, a compendium of a bunch of random translated bollocks that's all slung together. Something, again, that you have to understand, really, to work at a high level. 
because the book doesn't teach you. The book appears to teach a magical system in the Lesser Key of Solomon. It fucking doesn't. It teaches you some bullshit about forcing spirits to do something because that's the Judeo-Christian way of threatening them. Yeah. Three books of the cross, philosophy by Agrippa, looks like it's a book that's trying to explain. It's not trying to explain. It's trying to justify the author's understanding of concepts yeah imagine like a dissertation that you have to write to get a degree or what have you and then you write that dissertation basically it's a bit of research but it's done to prove that you understand what you're talking about yeah that's what agrippa's done here it's, it's basically combining knowledge together and saying i can't i do understand this i understand that's what, why he wrote it and sent yeah. it to his friend i understand what plato <laughs> was trying to say about this I understand what Gallen was trying to say about this. I understand what Hippocrates was saying about this, and and, and you know, and I, I you know I agree or disagree with what Aristotle was trying to do, and that's essentially what he does. The great thing from our point of view is it gives you a compendium of all these different mystics that were available at the time, and what it actually does is kind of chronologically put them in a in a group and kind of go, oh okay, I've not heard of this guy, this guy. Um, we haven't got any of his texts. So I wonder what that guy was doing. But what you can do is line up with what's left of Aristotle, what's left of Plato, and you can kind of fill in the gaps of where he was, what he was trying to prove that he knew and understood. And I think that's the bit I do like about it, is that it does have that kind of dissertation feel about it, where it's mm. it's got these <laughs> literature studies all the way through, proving that, you know... He didn't make this up. Uh, these people were talking about it, um, and I agree or disagree with with their um, with their stance. Which you know, I, enjoy, I I do enjoy it. Whether or not I will sit and actually digest the whole thing again, um, I don't know. We'll see. I would imagine probably not, because you've got too many projects and the like on. That are far but, more interesting than that. Yeah, but if you say, that's the thing, like when someone talks about, how would I go about doing this? How would I go about doing that? This high-level piece of magic that I want to do, how would I do that? Well, the blueprint of how things are done is in Agrippa's book. It doesn't explain how it is, but it's the tools. It's essentially what I would imagine if you went to medical school and you got medical school, like third year or something like that book. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense to most people, but it's not designed to make sense to most people. It's designed to have the key bits of knowledge that you need for that year group, yeah. third year medical school. And it's super complicated and only designed for a few. Of course, the difference is that Heinrich Agrippa considers anyone that doesn't understand it to be profane, <laughs> which nowadays we just call tryhards. Yeah. But I don't know which is worse. We don't think they're profane because, again, Heinrich, this is what I don't understand, Chris, because this is what makes us a little different, I think, is that we want to take people from the um, Coronation Street watching to Keely on the sofa, Instagram in kind of mundane, mundane. And we want to take them as far as they can possibly get to within magic. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people, both from the present and from the past, 
have a barrier to entry. They say we're only interested in people of this level and above, yeah. and we are not interested in helping anyone below that level. And we're going to create barriers in place to stop anyone from that level going further because they're not worth our time. We get people that are on an intermediate level that are trying to do all sorts of crazy ass shit. We spend as much time with those people as we do with the beginner that says, I'm just looking into this magic thing. I've had a couple of experiences. I don't know where to go. All this psychic stuff seems crazy, but I don't know if I can do it. But we'll just spend just as much time with those people trying to push them as we would with an intermediate level. That's what I think is the ethical thing to do. Yeah. But a lot of people, like Agrippa, would say, don't waste your time with those, the profane. But you should only be wasting your time with the initiates, the people that can actually accomplish something. But it's a flavour of the time, though, also, though, isn't it? Is that it's a it's a scholastic kind of lifestyle. Um, you know, and bear, bear in mind, this is part of the clergy and what the Catholics were doing. So, you know, there is a high, they are hierarchical kind of people. Whereas, you know, 21st century have got a, a different feel to what we consider worth. Mm. You know, there's a different understanding of what worth is. And equal opportunity was not a thing um, when Agrippa was about. Whether or not it was his conditioning that makes him behave that way. Um, or if it's how it was expected to be written. You know, well, often we forget that, that, obviously, in order to make sure it got published, there is there is an editorial team that makes sure that it's listed in a particular way. So, I don't know. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Sorry, Liam. I like him. I like the book, but I see it obviously different to and i don't know there's just i think there's a lesson to be learned there i've met a lot of beginner cultists they're just going into the realms of the cultism normally happens when people reach their 50s with this yeah. kind of stuff they reach their 50s their kids have grown up and now they're like oh i've got enough money to actually start thinking about stuff oh and by the way i'm gonna die soon i wonder what happens after that sort of shit yeah so they start going on a big uh, investigation into the occult worlds and magic and all that sort of stuff and then they'll start ordering all of these books so they'll do the what are the original books of occultism what is magic what are the best ones what are the most famous ones what are all of the ones that everyone raves about that kind of thing three books of occult philosophy will be on that list letter of solomon will be on that list there'll probably be a couple of wiccans ones on there nowadays as well but they'll all be on that list they'll order them all from amazon and they'll start reading through them some of them will make sense a lot of them won't they're not designed to make sense to that person that person's on a path an occult path but they're starting out most books like this free books of occult philosophy are not designed to be read by the beginner and they have i think the problem comes that they put the beginner off yeah because they don't give you a little bit of insight and a little bit of knowledge to make something simple work if they just made it because you could technically create a book which works on multiple levels you can get something that the absolute beginner can follow but that the intermediate student could also take apart and learn more from but these books don't ever do that. It's almost like, 
oh, well, you're not good enough for this, so I'm not even going to bother trying to give you something simple to do because you're not my intended audience. And I don't really like that. The reason why I haven't got a problem with a gripper doing it is because, A, that is a sign of the times, but also if you look at the man in his life, he's done a lot for Western occultism, and he did a lot for the people that were alive in the day. I mean, the guy was a doctor that literally went around trying to help people with plague, whereas all the other doctors fucked off to the countryside. Yeah. You know? He's an interesting person in the middle of the church and defended people accused of witchcraft. I knew there was at least one that he defended because he was, a, I think, a lawyer or something, wasn't he? But there we go. I think we're out of time anyway. So any final thoughts? Well, the only thing I'd kind of want to leave you to think about is the, the why is the book famous? And actually, you know, according to and why there are still copies of about of it about that lasted is more about his infamy rather than necessarily talking about you know were other other authors doing this just as well, but the difference was he'd got a bigger audience. And he was infamous himself um, that has made it last and made it be famous because it's a lot. It's one of those books. Lots. Everybody's heard of. Not everybody's read. Um, it is one of those kind of like it's the famous book on Western occultism, but not there aren't as many people that could quote it that there are that could quote the lesser Kia Solomon. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. How many people that have got three books of occult philosophy on a shelf somewhere have actually read it, do you think? Well, that's the thing, and that's what I wonder, is it's famous mm. because everybody's got a copy. Um, you know, at one point, every co everybody had a copy of the Bible. You could use it as toilet paper. There was that many of them about. You know, it's got that I've kind got of feeling. Bibles. Most of them... I've got several Bibles. Most of them have pages missing. <laughs> not for toilet paper by the way not for toilet paper for for magical stuff for magical stuff but i think that's what it is i think there is that kind of infamous versus you know best whether or not actually it is the best representation of that but it's what we're stuck with because it's the one that survives it's the only book I've been able to find thus far which has pretty much the basics of all of Western magic in. Yeah. Like, you talk foundation of Western magic is literally the only one I can find that has it all in. There may be others. I haven't found any yet because I've been finding them they're quite lacking. But actually, even if it just mentions it in a line or something, it will cover a concept, even if it's just a line, it will cover that concept in the three books of occult philosophy, whereas that subject will be absent from others. And it is the sort of thing you could just take tiny little bits, like bibliomancy and that, tiny little bits, and you can open it. What am I open it on? Oh, look at that. Male mandrakes versus female mandrakes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just the fact that even if you didn't understand the mandrake, and you don't understand the power of Saturn, Saturnine things. Looking at the pictures, I can draw stuff from that and pull stuff through from that. Yeah. And there's just something there. Male mandrakes, female mandrakes. How many people actually know that there is a difference between male and female mandrakes and that there is even sex to mandrakes? Let alone how to, to find them and what the differences might be. 
Yeah. Well, even if it just mentions that, and it does mention that briefly in a chapter, but, you know, it's not designed to teach you. It's not designed to give you the answers. It's almost like a book of questions. That you're supposed to go and try and find the answer to. Yeah, or a set of top trumps. <laughs> mm. It's got a, a set of facts and figures about it. You've actually got to go and learn the subject. But to be fair, it does give more away than tarot. So. <laughs> yeah, there is that. There is that. Okay, I think I think that's a safe place to leave it. Okay. Hopefully, right. it's keeping well, Lauren goodbye. happy. Well, goodbye. Hopefully, Lauren, this is what you wanted. I know she wanted us to talk about, like, ripping... What was it? Ripping dogs' tongues out and stuff like yeah, that. But at the end of the good. day, if we told you to go and rip a dog's tongue out, you're probably going to work out that you don't really need to do that to make the spell work. <laughs> All you guys that are listening now, you can find a workaround. You don't have to do it. The real question is whether, if Heinrich Agrippa writes it in there as something to do, you think it should be done... Or whether he did it, or whether he's just writing it. Because I get this with these Gemma Gary books and these traditional witchcraft books. Oh, well, there's reference to stabbing hearts and stuff like that. And I need to do that because I'm a traditional witch. Yeah. And I do kind of think, well, yes. But if you go to the Witchcraft Museum in Boss Castle, much of the stuff in there is pleb magic. Yeah. Is literally folk magic. It's the... I'm a first aider. I know a little bit, but I don't really know a huge amount type magic and you know if you're not able to rejig your spells because you haven't got an ingredient or you don't want to use an ingredient or this and that or understand what the ingredients are then this ain't a fucking recipe and three books of occult philosophy in three books of fucking recipes and shit but there we go over and out. Hopefully we didn't alienate all of our audience. We'll find out soon enough. <laughs> They'll come back. They always want more, Chris, don't they? They always <laughs> want more. Okay.